You're listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory, we are called to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. I saw this post on Instagram just this past week. A guy says, I asked God for a bike, but I know God doesn't work that way. So I stole a bike and asked God for forgiveness. (laughs) Well, God does work that way. He doesn't just offer forgiveness, but our God provides. And as we're talking about miracles in this sermon series, we're going to wrap up with miracles of provision. God can provide miraculously, and he wants to provide for you. God wants to be your source in every time of need. And I want to encourage you to expect miracles, to expect miracles when you need healing in your body, to expect miracles when you need God to keep your family together or keep your marriage together, that you would expect miracles for whatever you need. And when you have financial or material needs, that you expect miracles from God. God is in the miracle working business and there's no aspect of your life in which God cannot do a miracle. So many of the miracles in the Bible are miracles of provision. We talked last week about the miraculous feeding of 5,000 people plus the women and children on top of that number with five loaves of bread and two fish. It was a miracle of provision. And we have the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000. We have all kinds of miracles where God provides materially, where God provides financially for the people who need those miracles. And uh, we recognize that miracles have tremendous importance. Not only are they acts of compassion on God's part, but miracles point to God. And even a financial miracle is intended not only to provide for those who are in need, but to point to God. And through the feeding of the 5,000, We were pointed to the fact that we are all, the crowds are invited to the table of the Messiah. We are invited to join in fellowship, table fellowship with the Messiah. And God wants us to know that he's the bread of life. And if you need bread, he provides for that. Now, there are times when our prayers for stuff just might be a little selfish, right? We all know that. And I think sometimes the problem that we have is that we know that prayers for things could very well be selfish, so we tend to uh, swing the other way. I think we tend to compensate, and so not intending to be selfish, we don't bring any of our financial needs to the Lord, any of our material needs to the Lord. We don't want to pray selfish prayers. That makes sense. But I have a question for you. Do you think the person who prays for a financial miracle is more likely to be selfish? Do you think the person who prays for a financial miracle is more likely than one who doesn't to be unspiritual? Do you think the person who prays for a financial miracle is more likely to be immature, spiritually immature? The truth is, depending on God, and yes, depending on God, even for finances, even for miracles of provision, depending on Him for everything we need, depending on Him as our source to provide for our material needs makes us 
less selfish, not more selfish. Asking God for a financial miracle when we need one makes us less selfish, not more selfish. Depending on God for your financial or spiritual needs makes you more spiritual, not less spiritual. Deuteronomy 8.3 says this, and this is about God's provision of manna for the people of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness where they certainly wouldn't have been able to have enough food on their own. And it says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your forefathers or ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the manna was given not only to meet a need for food, but to teach a need for spiritual food, for spiritual nourishment from God. So we're actually less spiritual when we don't depend upon God. We're less spiritual when we don't trust Him for our provision. And knowing that God is our provider, that He's the one who is making sure we have what we need, that He's the one we look to when we need a financial miracle or just day by day, daily bread as Jesus said, it makes us realize that we just need God. We just need God, period. We need God spiritually. When I started out in seminary many years ago, I didn't have much money at all, and I was hit with a car repair bill. And it was more than I had uh, ability to pay, and it was on credit. And my grandmother, who was very poor, felt that God was telling her to send me $5 a month. And I so much wanted to resist that. I didn't want her to send me $5 a month. But do you know what happened? I was so destitute that sometimes that $5 made a difference as to whether I ate that day or not. And you know what that did for me? It, it helped me to know that God is my provider and that I needed to thank Him and trust Him for anything that I needed. So sometimes when we're dependent, when we're dependent upon others, or especially when we're dependent upon God for our provision, we become more grateful, we become more aware of our need for God, and that does spill over into our spiritual lives, and God won't let us down. Here's the big question then. Are you fully dependent upon God? Are you fully trusting in Him? Are you leaning upon Him? See, that's really a more important question as to whether you have a lot of money or not. See, our culture tries to divide people into the haves and the have-nots. That's a big cultural divide. It's a big social issue right now, and there are even wars over the answer to that question. Are you a have or are you a have-not person? The spiritual or biblical question is, are you dependent upon God or not? Because you can have resources. You can be well off and still depend upon God. Now, Jesus gave us some warnings that uh, it's very difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, to have that kind of relationship where you are fully trusting in God. It's difficult, but not impossible. With God, all things are possible. And uh, you can also be poor and dependent upon God, poor, and just have this attitude of peace and hope and fully trust and depend upon God. After all, Paul says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and the context of that is that Paul had learned how to abound, that is to have a lot, 
and he had learned how to have little and still trust in God. I can do all things. I can have a lot or I can have a little and still live a life of peace because I am dependent upon God. Now, on the other hand, the person can be among the have-nots. The person can be poor and still be materialistic, still be greedy in their spirit, still be rebellious against God. So the have or have-not question is not the ultimate question. The ultimate question really is, are you dependent upon God? And when you have a financial need, are you trusting in God? Is He your source. And I want to encourage you to trust God for your financial needs, to trust God for a miracle when you need a miracle of provision. And one of the great stories, we already have touched on it just a little bit when we talked about Elijah at the beginning of this series, is the widow of Zarephath and Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning with verse 7, we read, Some time later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, remember Sidon, that's important, and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. Traditionally translated to little cake. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread, make a small cake for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. First of all, we want to see that God had prepared her. Verse 9, Elijah is told by God, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. We don't know that she was fully conscious. I mean, Elijah didn't go to her and said, hey, I'm the man that God told you about. But God had prepared her. God had worked in her to get ready for this miracle. And I can tell you this, God is working in you to prepare you for a miracle. He is directing your life so that you can be right where you need to be. When God moves to meet whatever need that you have, God's speaking to you. He's directing you. And if you know God, if you know God through Jesus Christ, you are one of God's sheep and you can hear his voice. And it's so important that you be listening. 
when we were trying to build a church building on our old property, we hit a snag and the great recession of 2008, and it looked absolutely impossible. But we listened to God, and God gave us a word through a prophet, through a prophetic voice about a place to rent next to the expressway, and here we are. God made a way. But for us to be ready to respond to God, we had to be ready to hear the word of the Lord. This lady had been prepared. Second thing that we see about this that I want to point out anyway is that the miracle didn't happen apart from the man of God. God didn't just go to the widow and say, I'm going to provide, and then miraculously everything multiplied and she and her son could eat for the rest of the time of the drought and the famine. No, the widow didn't get her miracle by herself. Just didn't happen that way. And I think a lot of times in Scripture, miracles don't happen that way. And chances are you probably won't get your miracle all by yourself. That's why with healing, God directs us through the book of James to go to the church, to go to each other, to confess our sins to each other, to ask the elders to pray for us. So I don't think most miracles in the Bible just come as we keep on acting like lone rangers. No, God wants to use people to bless you. He does. Now, this widow would have been very justified to just cut off Elijah. Why not? Why not accept Elijah? Well, he was a Hebrew and she was a Gentile. She was from Sidon. And uh, you know, there are lots of racial and cultural implications in this story. Even Jesus made an issue of this in Luke where he said, you know, weren't there a lot of widows in Israel, but God had to send Elijah to a Gentile location, to Zarephath, to provide for him. And that caused a huge conflict among Jesus' hearers because of that racial and cultural tension. And here's why there was tension. Where was wicked Queen Jezebel from? She was from Sidon. Zarephath was a city in Sidon. Who was the king over Zarephath, the king of Sidon, who was none other than the father of Jezebel? And, you know, you probably would maybe suspect that Elijah didn't want to go there either. Why would Elijah, why would this man of God want to go into the territory where Jezebel was from? Doesn't make much sense. But God set things up so that they needed each other. Wow. The Hebrew prophet needed, needed a Gentile widow. Or he wouldn't have been provided for because that was God's plan for Elijah. And the Gentile widow needed the Hebrew prophet. That was God's plan for provision. I wonder who that uh, maybe you wouldn't suspect being used by God is being put into your life, sent into your life, because either you need them or they need you or a little bit of both. Let's be ready, because God does miracles in ways that sometimes don't fit with our preconceived parameters. Now, this miracle, as you've already probably seen is a miracle that takes place in Baal's territory. See, uh, 1 Kings tells us that the uh, prophets of Baal ate at Jezebel's table. That's 1 Kings 18, 19. And now the prophet goes into Baal's territory to eat at the widow's table. (laughs) You know, that's intentional on God's part in making the story work out this way. 
The drought had come on Israel. Why? Because they had begun to worship Baal. And now God goes right into Baal's territory. The drought was a judgment on the worship of Baal. And it's not just that you know, God is limited to the people of Israel and the land of Israel. God goes right into the homeland of Baal. And, and he's saying through Elijah, I'm in charge here. And God is able to provide in Baal's territory and to do so miraculously. You know what? In some ways, we as Christians today are in Baal's territory. Yep. We are living in a world that in so many ways is under the influence or even the control of the God of this age, little g. Now, our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities, forces that have, you know, ability to influence events here on earth. And our nation is not an exception. We're living under that. And, uh, you know, we are a testimony that God is still God. God is still Lord, even in Baal's territory. Isn't that awesome? And since we're subjects of the kingdom of God, and we're, we're not citizens of this country, our citizenship is in heaven, why wouldn't God want to do a miracle for you? Why wouldn't God want to provide for you in the midst of Baal's ter territory just like he did for the widow and for Elijah? Why not? Because it, it brings about a powerful testimony that the thing that other people depend upon is not dependable. The people depended upon Baal for the multiplication of their grain so that they had to have abundant crops. But God says, no, Baal can't do it. If I decide there's going to be a drought, there's going to be a drought. But God is not limited in his ability to multiply the meal and the oil to feed Elijah, the widow, and the widow's son. Hallelujah. Our God is able, even in the midst of the idolatrous world in which we find ourselves today. Now, I know it's important that as spiritual people who are responding to the Spirit of God, that we recognize the seasons that we're in. And there are different seasons with regard to how God provides or how God treats His righteous followers versus how God treats those who are not His followers. And there are times when, you know, especially in the Psalms, you can see frustration when righteous people say, God, why do the wicked prosper so much? And there are times when it just likes to, looks like the wicked prosper and, you know, the righteous people are in poverty or beaten down or persecuted or oppressed, and that can be frustrating. There are seasons when that happens. There are seasons when it rains on the good and the evil, that everybody together is kind of in the same boat, whether good or bad. Seasons happen like that. But sometimes, and Malachi promises this almost at the end of the Old Testament, that there is again coming a day where God will make a distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous, between the righteous and the wicked, between the righteous, those who are right with God through following Him, and those who are in rebellion against God. And I believe that we are in for such a season. God is able. But this woman, in order to step into the provision that she was able to have, during this time of drought, which was a time of judgment upon Baal, through faith. She had faith. And the faith is indicated in this. You wouldn't normally give your last meal to a stranger, would you? 
No, that's not a natural thing. And when you consider it was her child's last meal, that's even more of a challenge. That's even a bigger difficulty. And so Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. This is verse 13. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. Elijah recognized that what he was asking her to do was frightening. He recognized that what he was asking this widow to do would run against her feelings. And, you know, it was already a frightening situation, just the fact that she was in drought and was at her last meal, and then to be told, your meal's going to be even a little bit smaller, perhaps. Make it for me. Yeah. Uh, that was frightening. And I know that the, the feelings must have been very powerful, must have been almost overwhelming. You know, not only this idea, I'm going to eat this last bit of food and then we're going to die, but to know that it, what Elijah is asking her to do is potentially move up the timeline, yet she still did what Elijah said to do because he had a promise along with that request to make him a loaf of bread first. And that is that God is not going to allow the meal or the oil to run out during this time of famine. This week, I offered to pray for somebody who's going through a little bit of a financial challenge. And this is a person who is very familiar with uh, a lot of the Bible stories. And I said, it might be that before God gives you your financial miracle, you have to bake me a cake first. And that'd be very appropriate since Monday's my birthday, right? Might be the key to miracles, I don't know. But the point is that this woman, this widow, had to act on faith and not on what would have been her natural feelings. She had to believe that Elijah said the truth, that what Elijah spoke was God's word that she would not run out of food for the entire duration of the remainder of that drought. Think about this. How did she feel as she was in the kitchen making that loaf for Elijah? Not for herself and her son yet, but first, as Elijah said, for him. And she's knowing this is the last bit of meal and oil. She is smelling that bread. She's probably a little bit hungry because chances are during a drought she wasn't gorging herself. So she was probably experiencing a little bit of rumbling in her stomach. Her stomach was growling, and uh, she, she was hungry. And I imagine that bread baking could have smelled pretty good. I don't know. I don't know about their style of bread, but I can just imagine a loaf of fresh bread baking in the oven and then carrying that to this prophet in the hopes and expectation that God was going to do a miracle. <laughs> Man, I don't know if I could handle that. I can barely handle getting my waffle fries home from Chick-fil-A, you know, without eating them in the car. What about this woman with her bread? But she didn't let even that desire, that physical desire, stop her from doing what Elijah asked her to do. Can I suggest this? If God asks you for something, don't let its desirable fragrance keep you from giving it up to God. 
If God asks you for something, don't let your desire for it, don't let its desirable fragrance keep you from giving it up to God because that just might be your key to a miracle. Now, you don't have to be perfect, but you do have to have faith. Somebody has to be exercising faith. And sometimes we want to downplay the role of faith. And I'm not saying here that, oh, your problems are just that you don't have enough faith. But I am saying that if we want to see miracles, we need to learn how to exert our faith in God. It's very, very important. And sometimes what prevents us from being people of faith is that we're very aware of our shortcomings. We're very aware that we sinned. And this woman wasn't perfect. That's why when her son died and before Elijah raised him from the dead, she said, oh, you have reminded God of my sins. She knew she was sinful. She was aware of that. But in spite of her sins, God gave her a miracle of provision and also he gave her the miracle of raising her son back up to life. Doesn't mean that her sin didn't matter to God but it meant that God's grace and forgiveness, God's provision for those who turn to him and respond to him in faith, God's grace for such people is bigger than all of our sin, all of our problems, all of our mistakes. In fact, a lot of you are dealing with financial problems because of sin. Not everybody. Some of us are in financial problems. Maybe this woman had financial problems because she was a widow and because there was a drought through no fault of her own. She was just a susceptible person in that society. But we've got to admit sometimes that our financial problems are a result of our sin, of bad decisions, things along those lines. But guess what? God's grace is still bigger. And God is not looking to blame you. He wants to give you his wisdom that's why it's very important to get involved in a life group, learn how to budget, do some things that can help you get your finances in order. But none of those things mean that you can't depend on God for a miracle. The, the need to grow in wisdom and to grow in right living doesn't mean that you need to wait till some opportune time before you can begin asking God for a miracle. You can ask God for a miracle right now. Would you do that? Would you begin to put your trust in God and trust in this God who's not a God who just wants you to barely get by? No, the feeding of the 5,000, there were baskets full left over. The feeding of the 4,000, the same. Jesus' very first miracle wasn't about, you know, just barely getting by. It was a miracle of provision. Do you know what God was providing? Wine for a wedding. Our God is not a barely get by kind of God. Our God is the God of great leftovers. Our God is a God of abundant blessing. And that's not something that we then turn toward our greed, but that is something, those are biblical stories, biblical true stories, histories that let us know that our God is a God of miracles. He's a God of provision. And when God provides, he does so not in some miserly way, but as a great and loving, and merciful, and generous God. And your sins, and anything you've done, cannot stop God from being who He is. Will you trust Him? The first area in which to trust God is with your life, with your eternal life. And you can pray right now to receive Jesus into your heart. Would you pray with me? Just say this prayer. Heavenly Father, I admit I've sinned, but I believe that Jesus died for my sins. 
I believe that Jesus is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your spirit and help me live for you. Help me to depend on you with every need. Thank you, God, for making me one of your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the family of God. Stay with us. And uh, we want to share with you some next steps that will help you grow in the Lord. And by the way, speaking of life groups, we've got a couple of them that deal with the financial uh, lives of our people and of the participants of the group. We have Financial Peace University, that's life group number 37. We have a business life group, that's life group number 32. We have another business life group that's already full and all kinds of life groups to help you with whatever situation you're facing in life. You'll find some people who are discovering God's provision just like you are. So welcome. Go to getvictory.net slash groups, and you can find out more about that. So stick around with us. Somebody's going to come share with you some other next steps. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Victory Church Podcast. If this message inspired you, feel free to share it with your friends, family, and social media. And make sure to subscribe to hear future messages from Victory Church. If you'd like to support the mission of Victory, please visit getvictory.net slash give. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.